It's now time to hear from our second speaker, Andrew Hurd. Uh, Andrew's the lead pastor here at EV Church. How you doing, Hurdy? Doing well. I'm so, doing well. There you go, you're on. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Uh, okay, so I'm... Um, where do you start on that one? It's kind of... Um, what about this? Ten words or less? What are you into? What am I into? What are you into? What do you like to do? What are you into? Well, I, uh, I, I love um, the things of God. I'm into uh, considering the things of Jesus. That, for me, is um, the centre point of my life. I, uh, I have a family, and uh, they're very significant for me, of course. So married with four kids. Uh, one's about to get married on next Friday, t- tomorrow week. Yeah, that's right, in a week's time. So uh, uh, the, the eldest is married uh, and expecting a child. Well, his wife is... Th- doing the expecting and he's expecting Exciting. as well but uh, I'm, I'll be a grandfather I'm, and what and what you meant to say then is you're, you're too, too young, young is what you meant to say at that point but uh, but uh, I'm expecting a grandchild in February um, played water polo last night and um, I'm still sore yeah, cool where'd you do that oh, I, I down at Woi Woi I've been playing for years and years and I'm just finding this year the knees are going and I just so I sort of hang and I hang out on the wing and hope no one grabs me. But uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. So, uh, Herdy, what are you talking to us about today? Why marriage matters. Why marriage matters. Yeah, cool. Well, um, I might I'll throw to you now and we'll hear more about that. Um, let's hear it for Andrew just as he gets set up. And uh, again, we'll get a, an opportunity in to ask some questions. Cool. Good, great. Uh, I, well, look, good to be with you. Uh, it's been a great week, and uh, the weather we're managing, it's fantastic. What I want you to do, I'm, I'm going to get you to do a couple of exercises. I want you at your tables to see if you can pull this off. At your table, I want you to uh, imagine you are the leadership team of a community of 100 people, and you're the only 100 people left in the world. All right, so there's been a nuclear holocaust um, or, I don't know, some food poisoning. It's killed everyone. And um, you're the only ones left on the planet, okay? And you at the table have been designated the leaders of this 100 people. And I want you to uh, just take two minutes and work out what are the top priorities that you'd need to take concern to uh, go for it. (laughs) Hands up who really enjoyed the power. (laughs) <laughs> Finally, I get to run the world. It, um, uh, quickly, what, what were the things you paid attention to? Water. Water? Yeah, we better get... Well, why would you worry about that at the moment? But, uh, yeah. Sanitation. Very good. Food security. Where, where are we going to get the food from? Yeah. I'd move, I'd move to a place where there's lots of fish, lobster, all that kind of stuff, and just live off. Yeah, beautiful. Shelter. Community, how's the community going to maintain its is it kind of life together? Yeah, very good, um, very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now let me, um, you heard the word reproduction, let me um, come back to that in a second. It's um, interesting how some people move there quickly and others don't. Well, I don't know, I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> Kim was straight there. But uh, um, there's probably some psychology going on or something, but anyway, it's... Um, what I want to talk to you about is marriage and how marriage matters. Now, immediately you, you kind of say that thing, marriage matters, uh, it, it kind of gets some sensitivities going uh, because we're going to be speaking about things that uh, will, will be um, somewhat provocative, 
We'll be on the edge. We won't be just dealing with uh, fluffy kittens and balls of wool kind of stuff. We'll be having a little bit of a, an edge to what we're talking about this morning. And so we're going to have question time. We'll bounce back and forward on it all. But as soon as you talk about marriage and that it matters, it does beg a question, or it should beg a question, which is, what is marriage? So when you say marriage matters, well, what do you mean by marriage? Now, for many of us, it doesn't beg that question because we, we just assume we know what marriage is. It's been an obvious... What, what is marriage? Of course I know what marriage is. Um, here's what most people think would say marriage is, and perhaps you're different, and uh, that'll be interesting to hear a little bit about later, but... Um, uh, most people, as they talk about marriage, think of marriage as the community's endorsement of my romantic love for another person. So if two people love each other, why shouldn't they be able to get married? The assumption there is that marriage is the community's endorsement of the love that two, romantic love that two people have for one another. Now that, I'm going to give a name. That's uh, known as, well, I'm going to call it the romantic endorsement view of marriage. The romantic endorsement view of marriage. Uh, rom end, okay? Not romance end, but rom endorsement view of marriage. You got, got that there? Um, but there is, an, here's the thing, there is another view of marriage. The romantic endorsement view of marriage has only been around for about 30 years, maybe 40. Uh, Prior to that, if people thought about marriage, and many didn't, but if people thought about marriage, the dominant view of marriage throughout history has been what's called the comprehensive union view of marriage. It's got a couple of different names, but the name I'm giving it to it is the comprehensive union view of marriage. And it's quite a different view of marriage. Uh, this view of marriage recognises the uniqueness of one particular relationship the relationship of a man and a woman in a sexual relationship. Um, so, comprehensive union recognises the uniqueness of one kind of relationship, the relationship between a man and a woman in a sexual relationship. It, it, you think about humanity with me for a moment. This is not a hard exercise. Think about humanity with me. We, we, I am a biological unit, and as a piece of biology, I'm self-contained. All my biological functions happen by my own effort, by, my, by myself. You know, I need food, I need a few other things to bring into this unit, but all the, you know, the breathing, the heart, the digestion, all of these things happen just by me. There's only one biological function that I have that I can't do on my own. What's that? Reproduction. Uh, someone said sex, no? Think about it. it uh, <laughs> there is a biological function that I can't fulfil, achieve, complete on my own. I need another person for it, and that's reproduction. A woman needs a man, a man needs a woman, or at least what comes from a man. Uh, we need that, the two to come together. There is an incompleteness about uh, humanity at that point. Now, when a man and a woman do come together in a particular sex act, their bodies complete the ability to fulfil that function. Their bodies come together and complete. I'm complete on my own except for this one biological function, but when you put a man and a woman together, then their, biological, their biology is completed. They're able now to do the reproduction function, which no other relationship can achieve except the man and woman relationship. 
And so uh, the person of the opposite sex comes together and is said to complete me. Um, They're united bodily. When they engage in a particular sex act, they're united, they they become one. And they complete that function they couldn't do on their own. Now, if that sex act completes itself, then it produces a child that's the outcome of that sex act. And that child further unites the man and the woman. So they're completed by engaging in an act that kind of speaks to their ability to be full now, speaks to their ability to be completed. And if that completes itself, then that child fulfills that function, it completes that function and produces a child that the outcome of that function. Now, uh, what you have then and historically, when people have thought about this, and it's, there's been a great deal of thought in many circles over many centuries about this kind of thing, um, that's, that's why it's given this comprehensive union view. That particular relationship, that you're united together as they fulfil their biological function, which then is uni- completed, fulfilled if it produces a child, uh, and that child then unites those two people forever. Um, even if the relationship splits up, even if there's divorce or breakdown or, or whatever, the, the, the fact is that you will forever share with this other person the fact that you have a child. Do, do, do you see that sense? That this child is mine and it's a piece of you and even though I hate you and we're now separated, we are forever united in reality by the fact that we share this child together. You see, children bring a powerful uniting function to human, that particular human relationship uh, sexually united together, uh, whether or not they, they are together. Now, when they are together and this child comes, it does bring not just a reality of unity, it bring, brings a psychology, a, an emotional unity too, and a bonding of purpose and will and heart and affection as we are one in body and one in family. It's quite a powerful, comprehensive union. It's a powerful, comprehensive union. Now, uh, th- that has been the view of marriage uh, for forever. Uh, so note this, you, you actually, from what we've just talked about briefly this morning, there are at least two views of marriage. One is the romantic attachment, romantic endorsement view of marriage, that marriage is simply the society endorsing the romantic affection I have for another person. But now you have the view that's been around for a long time, comprehensive union view, where marriage is actually the word we give to the coming together of a man and woman in that sexual union for the sake of children. We've we've kept that word marriage for that particular relationship. Now, that's the one we're focused on. Why? Not because of religion. It's got very little to do with religion. It has a, some, well, it has, there's a lot that religion has to say about it, and I'll come to that in a second. But, but that particular recognition of that unique relationship, a man and a woman need each other to be completed biologically, which then, if it completes itself, produces a child, and when it's organised and managed well, it actually produces a unity of affection, will, purpose, body, heart and soul, and, and per, all of that comprehensive union, Um, that is a special, unique relationship and it is the important relationship in society. society, You're 100 people, think back, 
You're running this small community of 100 people. You're the only 100 people in the world. And uh, as that 100 people move around, there's 60 women and 40 men. Why is there 60 women and 40 men? You're not game, are you? women are just more robust. I don't know. You just survive everything. Cockroaches survive, women survive. And it's very different kinds of creatures in the way they survive. But there is a robustness about women, which means there'll probably be many more women than men surviving wonderfully and blessedly, of course. But um, now here's the deal. In that group of 100 people, there are going to be lots of different relationships formed. There'll be friendships, There'll be affection, there'll be loyalties and uh, uh, even perhaps biological relationships that have been established prior. There'll be all kinds of relationships. But if you're running that group of 100 and you think about the next 100 years, what's the big priority for you? We've got to get more of us. <laughs> we've got to, we've got to, if this is going to multiply and grow and we have a future, we've got to have children born. So big priority, therefore, requires that we have pregnancies, that men and women come together. But more than that we just have children, if we're a community thinking about the next 100 years, 200 years, we've got to have a healthy community. I think someone actually mentioned that. There's got to be a concern for how the community functions and works. So we don't just want lots of kids, we want lots of healthy kids. We, lo- we, we want lots of kids who are well-adjusted, I guess you could say, but whatever language, you, we want kids who won't be delinquents, won't be selfish, won't be consumed with their own, will actually give back to the community and help the community function and grow and nurture and live. So we've got to make sure the kids grow and are nurtured well. Um, so... Piece of fact, I'm going to give you a couple of facts to add into all of this picture. One fact is this, um, there's lots of research about family life and kids and healthy kids and um, there's many different complex factors happening in the life of a child but the evidence still demonstrates that children have the best chance of growing up to be... um, uh, not delinquents, growing up to be healthy, adjusted kids, if they're raised in a context of biological mother and father without conflict. So there's, a, you know, there's an important um, piece there that it's not just uh, just mum and dad, but mum and dad in a well-adjusted relationship and so on is the best way for kids to have the best chance. Now, that's, that's um, statistics, and so you get some extraordinary women, and we have many in our church who are raising kids on their own, doing a fine job, and, uh, and we love them to bits. Uh, but but they, they would say it's hard, and it's, it's harder. Uh, it, it, you give the best, kids the best chance. In the, now, given that piece of information, if I'm running this small community of 100 people, and I want to make sure I raise a bunch of kids, I want to make sure that the mum and dad who come together to produce the child stay together and raise the child so that the child has the best chance of being a valid member of the community, a a, a help for the society. Um, Now, so therefore I'm concerned about kids, I'm concerned about their health, I see the best chance for their health is to have mum and dad together. Another fact, 
there's been a considerable research, in fact the Australian government did some research uh, 15 years ago on a, in a document called To Have and To Hold. And what they discovered was the difference between sliders and deciders. Sliders and deciders. This is Bettina Arnott's language as well, if you know her as a social commentator. Sliders and deciders. What they noted was that there's a difference in the outcomes for relationships that get established through sliding and relationships that get established through deciding. Sliders are those relationships where you meet at, you meet at a particular function, you know, your eyes meet and there's bang, there's this thing happens and you begin to hook up together and get to know each other and then you, you, know, you go home to his place or he comes home to your place and you engage together physically uh, and then you, you, know, you go back home but then you come back again and you find yourself staying over the weekends or he's staying over the weekends and so you slowly slide into this more intimate relationship, you then actually look, just stay with us all the time so you shack up, you stay in the house and actually live there together and then she falls pregnant and uh, you decide to continue on in this relationship and having a child. That's sliding into a relationship. And you might even get married. Sliding. Deciding is when you uh, eyes meet across the room, uh, captured by something about the other person, and you begin to have some, a level of affection and engagement together. But before you go too far, you actually, you actually take time out to think about, is this where I want to go? Is this a relationship I want to commit to for my life? And you stop and make a decision about whether you want this to be the future before you take it further, before you live together. And so you make a decision and you decide. Now here's what the Australian government found out in that research, that at every point, five years, 10 years, 15, 20, sliders have twice the marriage breakup rate as deciders, twice. So 5%, 10%, 10%, you get the picture. It's an extraordinary difference, which is just a little piece of information for you that, you know, that try before you buy, the kind of worldly wisdom that said, you know, if I want to make sure my marriage is going to work, I should try this out first. Well, the research actually indicates that is a piece that will most harm your potential success in relationship. Isn't that odd? It's just weird, but that's what the stats show. And Bettina Arnott, I heard her on um, ABC, I hardly ever listen to ABC radio, but I listened to her on ABC with um, Valentine, and, um, and she was simply pointing out these facts, that sliders are twice as likely to break up as deciders. And he was horrified and wouldn't accept it and wouldn't believe it, was, found it offensive, and she, was just, she just kept saying, I'm just telling you the facts. <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing anything except saying this is the research. Anyway, with that bit of research... You've got this small community of 100 people. You want to make sure the kids, because kids do best in a context of monogamous, lifelong union between the mum and dad, where there's no conflict and so on. I'm going to be, so I want to make sure that happens. How do I make sure, as a leader of this community, that that relationship will have the best chance of lasting? Now, notice that language, best chance. There's nothing guarantees a relationship lasting. But best chance. Well, I want to set up a context so that we have deciders and not sliders. How do I set up a context to make sure we have deciders and not sliders? Well, I set up a whole system of marriage celebrant, requirement to notice, that, uh, fill in a paper that says, you will get, I want to get married in a month's time, but can't get married until I've given you a month's notice of it to make sure I've thought about it. 
and I'll get a bit of paper from the government that says you've gone through a certain process to ensure that it actually has been a deciding process and not a sliding process, called a marriage certificate. Now, um, people say, what's the difference with a bit of paper? Yeah, it's just a bit of paper, but a bit of paper that's seeking to represent a process to help us become deciders, not sliders. Because that's all it is. That's what the bit of paper is. Now, um, so, now again, you've not heard anything religious. This is just us thinking, well, how, given the facts of how humans are and how we operate together, what's the best chance to give kids the best chance to actually be healthy members of society? Well, have stable, secure relationships that last for life. What's the best chance to get that? Established deciders, not sliders. Well, let's set some things up to actually ensure that's called the marriage process. And let's prioritise that relationship of marriage because if our society is going to survive, we need men and women to come together in lifelong monogamous union for the sake of our society. And if that doesn't happen, we're dead. <laughs> it's just a fact. And so we care about that particular relationship, the relationship of a man and woman together, lifelong union for the sake of kids. That's a special relationship for our small community. So we prioritise it. We put aside concerns and resources to actually make sure it's helping and nurtured. There's lots of other relationships that happen in our little society. And we're not against them. We're not down on them. We just know that this one's the future of our existence. And so we prioritise it. Now, someone comes along from the little community and says, I've got a relationship here, you're discriminating against me by not letting me have that thing. Well, you can have that thing, but to have that thing, that thing's actually about uh, establishing a mum, dad with kids for the sake of our lifelong future together. So if you want to have that, you can have it. But that's why we care about that particular one. It's unique. No one else can have it except that they actually qualify for it. Now, again, I've said nothing religious. Um, and I'm actually almost finished. Let me give you the last piece in all of this, the God piece. And then we'll throw for questions, yeah? The God piece. All I've said so far is very clinical, isn't it? It's not very, not very romantic. We just need men and women to get together to have kids and stick together for the sake of kids. Oh, it sounds very cold, it sounds very professional and mechanistic and so on. Here's the God piece that comes into that. What the Bible brings to all of that is love. What? I thought the Bible brought oppression and rules and marriage and restrictions. No, 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 no. That's what we brought because we need those things for us to survive. What God brings is love. I'll tell you how it works. When God uh, speaks to us in the Bible, which I'm convinced is exactly what is happening, God is addressing us in the Scriptures. It's why we look at it every week in church and say, it's a profound exercise to see what the Bible has to say. And love you to come and see what it has to say about the big question of what happens to why good people suffer. But um, what the Bible has to say is that the fact that a man needs a woman to complete himself for the sake of a child is his idea, God's idea. He made us like that, to need each other and not just be... You know worms can reproduce by just lopping a piece off? That'd be a really convenient way to reproduce, yeah? Do your nails one day, four more kids. It just, <laughs> it just like, it'd be so much easier. But um, God didn't make us like that. He made us to reproduce by needing each other. A man needing a woman, a woman needing a man. He made us like that because he wants us to be interdependent. He wants us to need each other. 
He wants us to know what it is to have loving relationships, where we have affection for one another, which is why the sex act, sex act isn't a cold thing. God made it to be an affectionate thing, a, a, a hard thing. He, extraordinary God of ours. He wants us to have love in relationships and he wants kids to be raised not by a village but by an intimate, close family unit in the context of a broader set of relationships because he wants them to know the close, stable, affectionate love of a relationship like that because he wants us to grow up knowing these things. Why does he want us to grow up knowing these things? Because he himself is a God of love. He himself is a God of love. He is love in himself, Father, Son and Spirit. And when he creates, he can't help but create creatures that themselves will grow to know the kind of love that he's experienced forever in himself. And out of the overflow of his love, he creates us to have loving relationships, which we keep spoiling, which we keep wrecking, yes, because of our selfishness and sin. But he's seeking to repair them and bring them back to water. But more than this, he wants us to know love in our relationships. He wants us to know what it is to be raised in loving relationships. He grieves over the fact that we don't know those things so often. But he wants us to know all of that, that we might know him. That we might know him, the God of love. Because in those loving relationships of a man who gives himself to his wife, and here's what the scripture says, here's what the Bible says, man, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church, dying for her. Well, that's not the Bible, is it? Yeah. The Bible's serious about men not being selfish pigs. It's serious about men not abdicating and actually being involved in cherishing their wife and loving their wife and therefore loving the children that are born to the two of them. And he, God grieves over men who have abdicated, as we do. Because God is a God of love and he wants us to see him as a God who is that same sacrificial love God who stands by and for in loyalty and affection for his human race. And he wants us to know him. That's why he's given us all of this. When we work it all out ourselves, we just get clinical, we get structures, we get... But when God injects into it, he brings a much richer, deeper thing to marriage... Why does marriage matter? Well, quickly, four reasons. And uh, it's just to add what I've said so far. Why does marriage matter? It matters for our health. Lifelong monogamous union between a man and a woman creates health together. It's powerful. It matters for our society. That we establish lifelong monogamous unions between a man and a woman is powerfully important for our well-being as a society. It matters for our kids, that they're raised in stable, secure care. And it matters for our knowledge of God, that we might know Him. Here's the deal, though. The dominant view of marriage in the last 30 years, romantic attachment view, is not strong enough to create stable marriages. There's the big problem. The romantic attachment view of marriage... If I go into marriage thinking it's about the state endorsing the romantic feelings I have for another person, then that won't create a marriage that has the best chance of surviving the ups and downs of life. And the more that's dominant amongst us, the less stable our ability to sustain relationships of marriage lifelong for the sake of children and society. 
It's a very serious issue that we understand marriage rightly and get away from the Hollywood view of marriage. Now, there's a bunch of stuff. There you go. Um, we might... Michelle's got the mic. We might throw to some questions. I think you've got some books too that you might talk about a bit later. Is that yeah, right? cool. Yeah, yeah, good, cool. good, good. Any questions? One down the front here, Michelle, or... Thanks, Michelle. Um, I know Jesus taught about a man and a woman being united, but in the Old Testament, they often had more than one wife. And I was thinking to your illustration, like if you've got 60 women and 40 men, um, you know, wouldn't it make sense to reintroduce polygamy? And what do you think about that? Well, let's take a vote. <laughs> what, what do you think about it? <laughs> I tell you, the, uh, yeah, the Old Testament has some, some instances of polygamy. It's not, a, not many, some. Uh, but the very beginning of the Old Testament starts with this picture of a man and a woman coming together and becoming one flesh, the two. And you get to Jesus in the New Testament who points back to that passage, Genesis 2, and says uh, that was God's intention for marriage, man and a woman coming together as two to become one flesh. Um, and you then further get in the New Testament um, expression of the requirements for an elder to be a man who's married to one woman. So what you have is this deep undergirding structure that in the Bible of marriage is a man and a woman in lifelong monogamous union. You get a couple, not many, a couple of instances of um, that pattern being f- uh, flouted, flaunted, flaunted, broken. And uh, you get a couple of instances where it's, it's not kept, and uh, particularly with David it's dem- and Solomon, it's particularly evidence that it's a cause of their downfall. Yeah. Um, hi, Andrew. Yeah. Um, so you spoke a lot about marriage for children and um, for that safety and nurturing and health and well-being. Um, for, as a Christian or and in a Christian group, um, is, is it sinful or unbiblical for the sake of the gospel to choose not to have children? And then what is your view on that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there's a... Um, I was talking to someone yesterday about exactly this issue. He... Um, was reluctant to have kids. And I said, my comment to him was, it's a matter of love to have kids, isn't it? If I have the the ability to bring forth another life, to know life and know God, wow, the overflow of a heart of love wants to give more people the opportunity to know love and life, do you see? And so... I think it's the instinct of one who begins to get captured by the, the things of love to want to have more kids, actually. We, um, we went through uh, Genesis some years ago, and uh, the first part of Genesis talks about this kind of concept of the beauty of, of kids, the, the glory and wonder of kids and the joy and the love that displays in giving another one. Well, nine months later, man, we have Christ just went through the roof. It was... <laughs> 
we just had babies everywhere. But um, there, there is something like that. There is an overflow of love that wants to see. Now, it's typically the case in affluent Western society that we're seeing the birth rate drop. Now, why is that? So France, for instance, is in great danger. The, um, the re reproduction rate is now less than the replacement rate, significantly. So there will be, France will disappear or be taken by many others who are bringing, you, you see. But, um, uh, so the overflow of love wants to see more kids, but in affluent society we're seeing less and, it, and it's because kids impact my lifestyle. Kids impact my lifestyle. And so you want to be very careful. Um, we are breeding a society that's about me and my lifestyle, whereas the God of love wants to produce in us a heart of love that's for others, that wants overflow for more and, wants, and sacrifices my lifestyle for others. It's a beautiful picture. Um, now, I haven't picked up all the nuances of your question, but there's, there's something of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, we've got a microphone here. We'll come back. Andrew, thanks for your talk there. That was great. I was interested quite in your the research on statistics about sliding into relationships. Is there research and also your Christian views of sliding out? Do we live in a, a society today where it's uh, perhaps government benefits or, or dating websites? It's so easy to slide out, perhaps. And then you're touching on the principles here of... Um, it's the Bible and God and Jesus of love that pulls it together and uh, perhaps some of the principles in the book of What Did You Expect by Pastor Paul Tripps, if you're familiar. Oh, right. right. Um, so sliding out, is it easy to slide out oh, compared yes, to the Bible yeah, holding uh, it in? Yeah, of course. It, um, uh, marriage matters. Hearing that it does means I then need to pay attention to working at maintaining a life of affection and love and stability and growth together. Um, it matters. And there is a, there's this wonderful, um, here's, a, here's a, just a picture. Have you noticed that 80-year-old married couples don't hold hands much? But when they do, wow, it says something powerful, doesn't it? They don't do it as much as the 20-year-old couple, but when they do, it speaks to 60 years of faithful love to one another. Oh. Now, there is, a, there is a, a precious prize at the end of a history of faithful, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to death to us. There's a, there's a precious prize at the end of a life of that with one other person that you only get by a life of for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Now, I know, we, we have a church which is this rich tapestry of people in all kinds of different contexts. We've got, we've got people whose marriages haven't lasted. Um, and look, we, we love them. They, they are part of a community that, that embraces and loves them. But they have longed for that prize which hasn't happened for them. And they grieve that. But one of the things we do for young men and women, and we do for those that are in relationships, is say, put your eyes on that prize. And so invest and keep pushing forward. Get help where you need it. Work towards the end. Yeah. And it's a prize that God intends for us. Yeah. Uh, hi, Andrew. Um, what you were saying before about um, a man and a woman and having children, and that's an expression of love, and it's 
a good thing to do. Going back to when Jesus was growing up and in that time it was fairly normal and common to, you know, for a young man, I don't know, maybe a young teenager and a young teenage girl to get married and have children. Why do you think that Jesus didn't do that, given that he was here in human form? Very good. Yeah, good. This is Tammy's question now. Thank you. So it's picked up another dimension of it. Jesus stayed single and died single, never married. There are some Hollywood shows that have suggested he was married, but there's, it's just complete farce. There's no... He was single till he died. And um, uh, why? Well, two, two things. Because marriage is, as wonderful as it is, and as important for our society as it is, Marriage is only for this life. There, there is a life to come, says Jesus, and his resurrection proves that. His coming back from the grave proves that there is another life to come. And um, one of the things he teaches is that in the future, beyond death, in this new creation, um, we'll experience the kind of intimacy and joy in relationship with everybody. And so the exclusive character of one man, one woman won't be necessary anymore. It'll be a, a richness and depth. Now, I know part of you kind of thinking, well, I don't think I could be married to him in heaven. I don't know that I could deal with that. Um, no, no, no. He, he, try, you've just got to get yourself into a new sense where Jesus says there'll be neither marrying or giving in marriage in heaven. What he's saying is um, he will be so profoundly changed, that man that you couldn't stand, and you'll be so profoundly remade, you'll be glorious, and there'll be a beauty to the friendships and intimacy that just eclipse even the best marriage today. Um, now, Jesus, seeing that future, realises that if I don't get married today, I've not missed out. And so what he does is beautify the single life and show that choosing not to marry for the sake of a greater love for others, which is what he did, choosing to stay single for the sake of a greater love for others, is a wonderful, valid thing to do because love's the driver not my needs. So Jesus forego that, for, for, forwent that for the sake of love. And that comes to the... It's 1 Corinthians 7, if you want to chase up the passage too, that says these things here. Is that helpful at all? Is it freaking you out? It's good, 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 good. Yep. I think we've got one more question. Hi. Hi. Um, you mentioned before about um, that men and women uh, should stick together for the sake of, the, of their children. And what about if they, they marry for love and they decide to have children, but after so many years, their lives become miserable? And should they stick together for the sake of the children? Yeah, good, good, thanks. Um, uh, kids do best in the context of biological mum and dad where there's low conflict. They, they, do, they do well in marriages that are not um, full of love but are faithfully loyal to one another with sufficient affection to uh, function well together. Uh, where the marriage breaks down into conflict and hostility... Uh, that becomes a problem for the kids. And so there are questions then about, for the sake of the kids, what do we do now? I would urge, for the sake of the kids, you go and get someone to help you. That's a far better outcome. Because there's something at the end of 70 years of 
loving and being faithful that is worth pursuing for your own sake and for the sake of the kids. So go, if, if, you, if your marriage is losing its fervour and vigour and you're feeling like you've, we're strangers now in the house, whilst ever there's a determination to make it work, good help will enable you to make it work. Go and get help. Become part of a community where you will be helped. Where, you know, we have a number of people who operate in the marriage counselling. We have seen amazing turnarounds in relationships. And as they now look back, they go, I'm so glad we didn't give up. We pressed on. We found out what was happening. We each grew. I realised I was being selfish. I realised I was being lazy. We each grew to be better and created a marriage again that was satisfying and the kids have been nourished in all of that and it's profound. It's worth pursuing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me um, point to a few books. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got a few books on the bookstall here that um, are worth considering. Uh, there's, there's a book by Tim Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. Um, there's lots of helpful stuff. It's an easy read. Tim Keller's stuff's always easy to read, um, so that that's, um, can be helpful. Um, John Piper will help you think more about the radical nature of what the Bible teaches about marriage being for this age and not the future. Uh, that's a very helpful book. Um, uh, Christopher Ash has... Um, uh, he, he, again, is careful with his rest, wrestling with the text of the Bible, uh, and this is a wonderful expression of the importance of our lives together with kids and our biological process. It's quite helpful in that area. Um, what is marriage? Uh, marriage, men and women are defence. I think this is one of the best books on the theory and philosophy of marriage that's around at the moment. Uh, it really is quite superb. Three authors, three American guys... Um, and uh, it will help you think about a whole new way, like the, 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 the classic way of understanding marriage, they bring out for you wonderfully. And so there's three, four books. Fantastic. Um, put your hands together for Andrew Hurd. Thanks, Andrew.